0: There, welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks, and I'm
1: Scott Eisenberg,
0: and we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That
1: we do. That we do.
0: And this week we are continuing with our sequel month. Uh, I am showing Scott a primo sequel from 1982. We've got Mad Max Two, aka The Road Warrior.
1: Yeah, I've never seen this movie before. My initial thoughts of it, it's its a, a lot better than the first one.
0: Yes, well, I had told Scott, because I, I had already seen the first and obviously this one, and Scott had seen none of the earlier Mad Max movies, so I had told him, listen, you don't really have to watch the first one. The first one is not that good, a.k.a. it's kind of boring. And... <laughs> Uh, he apparently didn't believe me because he sat down and watched the first one and then just looked at me when he finished it and said, you're right, it was really boring.
1: <laughs> Occasionally, yes, you have to find out things for yourself. I didn't think the original was going to be that. I always knew Mad Max is this post-apocalyptic in the desert kind of thing. Like, that was crazy. And the other, it was kind of just like a weirdo cop story.
0: Yeah, the first one, I don't even remember like everything that happens in it. I just remember it being pretty boring for the most part. But the reason I said don't even bother watching the first one is because you don't really need to. The opening sequence of this movie is a complete recap of the first movie within like five minutes. So it's really not even necessary.
1: They really only go over the one part you really need to know is that a biker gang killed Max's family and made him a shell of his former self.
0: Correct. And that's really all you do need to know going into this. So overall, what did you think, Scott, of this movie?
1: I actually, It kept my attention. It was very good. Before all of this, the only Mad Max I had seen was Fury Road. And I loved Fury Road. It was amazing. But I kept hearing the comments, oh, it's just the remake of Road Warrior. And I understand that now. This kept my interest. I thought it was an interesting story. Max is a good character. Mel Gibson is a horrible person.
0: That's that's true.
1: <laughs> but the character is an interesting character. Everyone else in the story is kind of forgettable.
0: Um. Yeah, I mean, all the side characters that have any prominence are really... Just kind of there to support Max's character. Like, he's really our main thrust of the story, obviously, which makes sense seeing as how it's called Mad Max.
1: (laughs) That's true. I also played the game, so this was a lot of, like... This is what I was coming to expect. I wanted this when I turned on the first Mad Max movie. I'm glad I got it with the second one.
0: So this movie was written and directed by George Miller, who was behind all of the films in the OG Mad Max trilogy and Fury Road. Although he does have some more peculiar entries in his filmography, namely Happy Feet One and Two. Don't push me, cause I am close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. Yes, I like that one. I could really get jiggy with that. Uh, to to watch this movie and think the guy that made that is the same guy that made Happy Feet is a little weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a
1: that's a that. Those are two roads you usually wouldn't cross.
0: Right. But fun fact, George Miller actually turned down the chance to direct First Blood to make this instead.
1: Yeah, that, uh, you know what? As much as Rambo's a fu- an interesting idea of a story, yeah, this is his baby.
0: And he actually edited the film as well. And he edited it with the sound off so he could focus on the imagery, which makes sense because the cinematography in this movie is pretty good.
1: Yeah, there is no dialogue in this movie that I could really go, yeah, that really stands out to me. I remember that line.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the main character, Max, reportedly only has 16 lines of dialogue in the whole film. So that kind of gives you the impression that that the words don't matter as much as the vibe of the film, which is very distinct. <laughs> we'll get to that a little more as we go through it. Uh, George Miller also co-wrote the movie alongside two other gentlemen by the name of Terry Hayes and Brian Hannant. And they were all very much inspired by Kurosawa movies, which is also pretty evident yeah. when you watch the movie <laughs> actually the the film was supposed to originally be a lot more bloody and violent but due to like the studio stepping in being like yeah cut back a little bit on that you know it's not as bloody as it maybe was going to be
1: yeah i could definitely see there's a lot of places where blood would be interesting and yeah this definitely could have used some of that i feel like at times to i guess increase the stakes a bit Because there are a lot of times where someone gets hit with, like, a bow and arrow, and then they're like... "Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off.
0: No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've had worse.
1: You should be bleeding from the leg, possibly dying from that shot, because God knows there ain't no fucking hospitals in the post-apocalyptic wasteland of Australia.
0: Yes, this this movie is an Australian film. It was filmed in the Aussie outback in a town called Broken Hill, which seems very appropriate. <laughs> but in reference to the cinematography, actually the guy that did the cinematography for this movie, he he has an interesting filmography as well. He has a, a mixed bag as it were. On one hand, he did movies like Dances with Wolves. Okay, yes. Um, but then on the other hand, <laughs> he did uh, a, a movie that we have actually reviewed on this show already, Super Mario Brothers. Does that ring a bell? You know, the classic Super Mario Brothers movie. Daisy! Luigi? Daisy! Luigi! Daisy! Luigi! Known, Daisy. known for its great cinematography, you know.
1: Hey, he had to make... Dino Land, look real.
0: He had to make fungus look appetizing. (laughs) But another thing I found kind of interesting about this movie is that because the original Mad Max wasn't really released widely in the U.S., when they released this movie, they didn't call it Mad Max 2 in the U.S. They called it Road Warrior. They did that because they didn't want U.S. audiences to get confused by like Mad Max 2 Mad Max 2 what's where's Mad Max 1 what the fuck so they just call it Road Warrior but I just found that funny because I feel like nowadays there's never like a something something too if there is it has to be something something too ellipses electric boogaloo yeah exactly like it can never just be something too because it like ostracizes general audiences they're, they're like oh well I haven't seen the first one so I'm not going to see the second one which I don't know if that even works because whatever you call it, everyone knows it's a sequel for something else. So I don't know.
1: Uh, well, I, I understand the point of it sometimes because there are times you get people who are randomly just kind of going to see a movie and they'll see like, oh, see no evil death comes for us or something. And they'll never know there was a see no evil one and they'll just kind of hop into it or something like that.
0: Well, um, I had a lot of fun watching this movie again. I hadn't seen it in a long time. But mainly it's really known for the apocalyptic aesthetic that it presents It's very creative and it's been copied many a time since then Especially with the the costuming as well So it, it definitely has a unique style
1: Well yeah, the costuming isn't difficult honestly There's some leather, there's shoulder pads, there's torn clothes It's not like it's creatively crazy, you know what I mean?
0: This movie definitely did a lot better than its predecessor. It had a budget of $3 million, which was ten times bigger than the original. (laughs) And it was the most expensive Australian film ever made at the time. Um, And it had a worldwide gross of $23.5 million. So it definitely was a hit. Definitely made some money.
1: It's so much head and shoulders better than the first one. Oh, yeah.
0: And it's definitely widely regarded as not just better than the original but one of the best apocalyptic action films out there with a 93 percent critic score on rotten tomatoes so i was definitely excited to go into this and i'm excited to talk about it
1: so shall we get into the nitty-gritty my dear
0: yes we shall i'm excited to talk about this all right so we open up with our little recap of the first movie narrated by stoic sounding old man narrator and he basically explains that there was a global war oil supplies were completely exhausted civilization collapsed and the road warrior max rokotansky roams the wasteland of the world and he was a former cop who lost his wife and child tragically and now roams the deserts with his little pup and oh my god this dog <laughs> i love the dog so much
1: yeah so
0: we'll talk about the dog
1: <laughs> yeah so max is in a lot of other media has actually had the dog the dog has become kind of like a part of mad max in the game he helps sniff out mines for max it's actually really cool oh okay but it's also interesting cuz max eats dog food
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah, And then when he's done, he, like, throws the can to the dog, and the dog just, like, eats the scraps out of the can. But uh, they're also driving around in this kick-ass, black, supercharged car. It kind of looks like it's halfway falling apart, but, like, so does the entire world around Max, so it kind of (laughs) fits.
1: Right from the beginning, I want to talk about the aesthetic of this movie.
0: Oh, yes. Because... The first one seems like we're
1: in Australia in like a ho dunk town and nothing seems post-apocalyptic, but this is post-apocalyptic. This yeah, is this the style. Is,
0: this is definitely building a world. So
1: I actually, I was automatically immediately like, okay, I'm good. Let's go. This is what I expected because we were starting out with a car chase.
0: Yeah. It's actually funny you mentioned that because not just with the world building, but the action as well. I feel like makes this little fun fact make a whole lot of sense. James Cameron actually cited this film as an inspiration for Terminator, which if you think about it, makes a whole lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it definitely does. A lot of Cameron's ideas definitely can be pulled from this if you add like more futuristic
0: technology. So Max is running around, and everybody in this world is basically just like scavenging for food and or gasoline wherever they can get it we open the movie with max and his little australian cattle dog driving around looking for fuel and he comes upon this like fucked up bike Uh, he goes to siphon gas from it and apparently this bike belongs to a very nefarious character who I don't remember them ever saying his name, but according to IMDb, his name is Wes. But he's a big, scary guy with a red mohawk, so we just called him Red Hawk the whole time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's got him and his girl.
0: No, it's a guy.
1: Oh, is that a guy?
0: That was a guy. (laughs) His little companion, his little his little boyfriend he's chained to the back of his bike
1: (laughs) he is and he is chasing down max
0: yeah and he kind of just growls at him and then rides away
1: because clearly he's one of our antagonists of this movie
0: yes he is actually a member of a big gang uh, called the marauders and we'll be we'll be meeting up with them soon enough But after Max siphons the gas, he comes upon this weird helicopter-type contraption. And it's just parked in the middle of the desert, which would seem suspicious, I feel like, to anyone. But uh, Max (laughs) apparently just kind of slowly approaches this vehicle and is immediately ambushed by the captain played by Bruce Spence, who is, I think, a, a pretty well-known character actor. I recognized him. He's had roles in movies like Ace Ventura 2, I believe. Um, let's see, he was in Lord of the Rings, I think.
1: Yes, he was also in uh, Star Wars Episode
0: 3. Oh, that's, that's a, a good sign. I, I, I saw, too, that he was one of the sidekick sharks in Finding Nemo. <laughs> because you know he's australian and and it takes place in australia so that makes sense <laughs> I, I,
1: I was trying to think when i looked at his list of credits and i saw he was chum i was like oh which one was that i which shark The main was that? one was bruce yeah fish are friends not food so
0: the captain who we never learn his actual name so he's just called the captain He tries to ambush Max, but Max overpowers him with his loyal little pup's help.
1: The dog kind of hops out, and then Max basically puts a knife to his neck and holds him down going like, so, hey, I'm going to kill
0: you. And the guy goes, oh, wait, 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 There's an oil refinery nearby. I can take you there, and you can get some fuel.
1: Apparently, the captain, when he laid this whole trap, also had a snake on his copter and the snake was apparently meant to bite whoever came to it and this made me laugh because at one point max hisses at the snake i'm like he's speaking parcel tongue
0: <laughs> wrong movie scott Wrong oh, movie. oh sorry 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 so max his pup and the captain go to this oil refinery nearby and it's in this fucking huge compound and they find the place under siege by the marauders which is Wes's little gang and the leader of the gang who is called Lord Humongous (laughs) which is he's basically just a big scary looking dude with a metal knight's helmet over his face
1: yeah, I think Jason Voorhees without a shirt.
0: Right. Essentially, yes. And um, he is leading this gang, and they're basically just attacking this compound daily in an effort to get in and get to the fuel. Max and the captain are hiding out somewhere up in the hills and kind of like watching, trying to see how to like get in.
1: Oh, uh, So while I'm watching this, I'm thinking of, there's an episode of Rick and Morty that basically rips this entire section off lord humongous's character falls in love of summer it's hysterical it's a really
0: oh god but what i wanted to mention too at this point was the costume design the costume designer norma morriso i think is how you say it she's worked on uh, several australian films such as crocodile dundee yes and um the sequel to this movie, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, which I've never seen. I heard it's not that
1: good. I- I've heard it's cheesy as hell.
0: She had a very unique way of putting everything together. She essentially developed the wardrobe by raiding junk shops and secondhand clothing stores, as well as s and shops, <laughs> which makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, it definitely does make a lot of sense because there's a lot of bondagey kind of stuff here
0: yes it, it feels very much like everyone has just scavenged and found these pieces that they're wearing and just created an ensemble out of just complete trash you know oh i love trash
1: anything dirty or dingy
0: or dusty anything ragged or rotten or rusty Yes, I love trash. That's what it looks like.
1: Oh, hey, here's a hockey mask. Okay, cool. Uh, loin right. cloth. Okay, cool. Some chains. Okay, I can deal with that.
0: And it, it fits so well with the like desert, barren, wasteland like area that they're in. It just it all fits so perfectly. And you wouldn't think it really would because it looks fucking crazy, but it it somehow fits. Well, that's the thing. All the characters in Mad
1: Max all look insane.
0: Yes. Even Max. He's probably the least crazy dressed one. He's just wearing like a leather jacket and black tight pants because, you know, Mel Gibson was handsome in the 80s. And... <laughs> yeah,
1: well, yeah, and he's got, uh, he's got like the Madonna shoulder pads.
0: Yeah, yeah. But that's really it. He looks probably the most normal. I guess that makes sense, though, because... You're supposed to connect with him the most is the audience.
1: Yeah, he, he's the least crazy of the crazies.
0: So Max, along with the captain and his little pup, are hiding out overnight. And the next day, Max sees several different groups of these people that live in the compound with the oil refinery. He sees a bunch of them leave in cars and go out into into the brand new day and they are immediately chased by the marauders Max kind of tries to follow at a safe distance to see what's going on and he essentially watches as this group of people are raided slash murdered slash assaulted sexually by these fucking freaks of nature the marauders well
1: it's so weird because as you're watching this you're like okay, uh, they're, they're showing Max watch the sexual assault. Yeah. And they cut away. I'm like, oh, God, thank God they cut away. But then they cut back to it. I was like, holy
0: shit. Yeah, and what's even weirder is, like, they're showing Max watching this, and it's, like, really, it's it's very stark and uncomfortable to see. But then it cuts to, like, a little joke with him and the captain because the captain comes up behind Max, and Max is looking at this whole scene behind binoculars, And the captain comes up behind him and he pulls out this comically elongated telescope and he starts to look with the telescope and Max just, like, grabs the telescope, throws the binoculars at the captain and looks through the telescope. And it's like, okay, (laughs) that was weird, but okay. It was, like, a funny joke mixed in with this horrible scene that's happening down below them. It's it's, it's weird, but it, it does establish how fucking brutal this world they're living in is
1: yeah definitely it definitely does give you that image and after this woman's killed the man's left there to like basically die and max comes up and says hey if i bring you back to the compound can you give me gas
0: and And the guy's like yeah sure just take me back take me back So that's what Max does. He takes the guy back to the compound. The people left behind at the compound let him in with this guy, and he unfortunately dies very soon after from his wounds. Yeah,
1: it it was clearly obvious he was going to die because you get the line, yeah, me and that guy made a deal. Just ask him. He'll, He'll tell you that we made a deal, and then the next line is, he's dead immediately i'm like oh of course he is
0: so max is talking to the leader of this little group here papagallo
1: what kind of stupid name is that Uh, i just kept calling him the mayor in all my notes
0: (laughs) and max is like listen this guy promised me fuel if i got him back here and papagallo is like well he's dead now so fuck you get rid of him (laughs) and these people just, like, grab Max and his poor little dog. The dog is barking, trying to get them to let go of Max. This dog is, like, so loyal and so sweet, but still so fierce. (laughs) And um, I just just love him. But right as they're about to kill Max and his little pooch, the marauders come in all their crazy fucking apocalyptic-looking vehicles with two more of their compound brethren tied to the front of one of their little vehicles it reminded me of fury road for sure yeah so the marauders are in front of the compound and they have this announcer guy i guess that comes out he, he kind of like is the town crier type situation and he comes out and he's like lord humongous wishes to commune with you He just speaks so, like, flowery and, like, silly. It reminded me so much of Paul Bettany from A Knight's Tale. Behold, my Lord Ulrich, the rock, the hard place. Like a wind from Goldland, he sweeps by, blown far from his homeland in search of glory and honor. We walk in the garden of his turbulence. He basically introduces Lord Humongous, and he starts on this evil monologue, essentially.
1: About how he'll let everybody go as long as they give him the oil and they won't be hurt, blah, 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 blah. While this is going on, this little feral kid.
0: That's literally how this child is referenced in IMDb. <laughs> He's referred to as feral kid.
1: <laughs> uh, he has a boomerang.
0: Yeah, he he lives in the compound.
1: Uh, But... Yes, this is our connection to Australia. Remember, there's a boomerang.
0: Yeah, right. I literally was like, oh my god, is this a fucking uh origin story for the boomerang guy in Suicide
1: Cap- Squad? Captain Boomerang. <laughs> the- oh god, is this is Jack Courtney's origin story. Oh no. Oh god. So uh he froze the boomerang and it cuts off the herald's fingers.
0: Oh, yeah, that was so... Because he tries to catch it like an idiot. And he cuts off his fucking fingers. And he's like, oh, my God!
1: <laughs> and then the barrel kid throws it again and fucking kills Redhawk's buddy.
0: His little, quote-unquote, buddy. His lover.
1: Yes, his lover.
0: And Redhawk just completely freaks out. He wants blood. But Lord Humongous calms him down. And he still is like, to the compound people, he's like, if you guys... Leave now. We will let you leave and we won't hurt you. We just want the fuel. And they just all get on their little bikes in their cars and they run off. The compound people are all like arguing about what they should do. And meanwhile, Max is over on the side just like chilling and he ends up bonding a little bit with the feral kid. Max takes out this little music box that he found in an abandoned truck earlier in the beginning of the film while he was driving around through the wasteland. And he's playing this little music box and the feral kid is very enamored with it. So after playing with it for the kid, he throws it to the little boy and he gets all excited and runs off with it. Thanks, Mean Joe. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's funny because... But it's like, oh, it's a little bonding moment and that establishes... Bear bond throughout the rest of the movie because throughout the rest of the movie the feral kid is like obsessed with max and wants to follow him everywhere and anywhere he goes yeah
1: the one thing i did notice about when he does find this music box early on he smiles as he as he hears the song because max is one of the few people who actually like i guess remembers the old world so as he like plays the music he kind of gets a, a sly little smile and that's the only time he really is happy Throughout this movie. Well,
0: yeah, because you assume that it, it connects him with his family because he, you know, he had a wife and a small child in the first movie that were killed. So that music box, you know, it, it connected him with his past. And it was the first time that you kind of saw him soften and smile in the movie. And it's a good way to establish his character because throughout the movie, he, he's very much a lone wolf but then progressively he does kind of develop relationships to a certain extent with some of these compound people. and
1: I guess to a degree.
0: He's a very interesting character, Mr. Max.
1: <laughs> yeah, I understand why they kept going with him in movies and definitely because I, you want to know more about him.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a, an air of mystery about him. So Max is now
1: talking with these people about what their plan should be
0: yes and he basically tells them listen i saw this truck back uh not too far from here that could probably carry your little oil rig wherever you want it to go so i could go get it for you if you want but in exchange you have to give me fuel and you have to give me my fucking car back because you know i need my ride
1: (laughs) damn straight
0: so they the, the compound people accept this proposal. And that night, Max leaves on foot with his little pup. And they end up running into the captain again. <laughs> and they get him to help. They get him to carry the fuel to the truck because they need to be able to like get it running and everything. So the three of them get to the truck, get it running. And as Max is getting the the truck running... The captain goes to like step into the truck. He's like, "Hey, we're partners now. Great! Let me, I'll come with you." And he just shuts the door in his face and drives off.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the captain has to take his helicopter.
0: Yeah, he ends up following him in the helicopter. But it's funny because we do have a little bit of a, a chase scene here. Because as Max is driving the truck, he ends up driving right through the Marauders' little campsite as he's driving back to the compound and a chase scene ensues and they kind of barrel into the compound and just a complete firefight ensues I- arrows are flying everywhere
1: yeah marauders are dying at one point the compound lights a pink cadillac on fire and i kept hearing the song pink cadillac I
0: the only time a car is set ablaze in this movie
1: no no the,
0: the action in this movie is really great um and it, it makes sense when you watch this in comparison with Fury Road how that is a, definitely a stepping stone for Fury Road
1: yeah you definitely understand why what you said before like this doesn't need sound like you you literally could probably shut off the sound and this would be fine
0: yeah it would still be boss as fuck so after this firefight, the compound people, along with Max and the captain who lands his little helicopter contraption in the middle of the compound, they all push out the marauders and they run away with their tails between their legs. And... Um, the the captain kind of introduces himself to everyone. They're all very enamored with his flying machine. The feral kid is actually like touching the blades of the helicopter, like ooh sharp, ooh. <laughs> and the and the captain's like shoot get away. It's like a funny little sequence because this kid is like just growling like an animal. He's like filthy and which doesn't I don't understand how that happened. Like clearly this kid isn't from these compound people originally because these compound people are very like sophisticated sounding and they, you know, want to, uh, rebuild society and go and, to
1: paradise, go
0: to paradise and build a new world, blah, blah, blah. And then you just have this kid like <laughs> living in the, uh, the cave somewhere. Like clearly they just found him somewhere and like took him in. I don't know. But anyway, the captain also starts flirting with one of the girls in the compound, and it it really they just kind of sh- try to shoehorn in this romance for no reason. It, it's not really developed at all, but it's it's not supposed to be. I guess it's very flimsy.
1: It, it's very flimsy. And at one point, he tries to convince her to leave with him, and she looks like an adult version of Cindy Lou Who.
0: Yes, because she has like a big ponytail like at the top of her head. I guess they just wanted to give. The captain a reason to stick around, but like he was kind of developing some kind of thing with Max, kind of. So like he could have just had him stick around, like because he liked Max. I don't know. They're partners. (laughs) the partners, even though you slammed the door in my face and left me in the middle of the desert. Did I twice? And and had your dog, like, attack me. There was one point where, like, the captain and the dog are just bickering back and forth like an old married couple (laughs) because he's yelling at the dog and the dog is barking back at him and he's responding like they're just having a conversation. It's actually kind of funny. I knew it at work. Lethal. Lethal, these snakes. Born killers. I
1: know... (laughs) My snake, I trained it, I'm gonna eat it. Yeah, they found a snake, and what What did he say, the captain? Well, it was his snake, because uh, the snake had killed one of the marauders, and he goes, Ah, I trained the snake, I
0: get to eat it. Oh yeah, that was the thing too. He was in his little helicopter thing, dropping snakes on the marauders. Like, that's that's a creative way to attack some motherfuckers. That's, you know, can't go wrong with snakes. <laughs>
1: Unless you're Indiana Jones.
0: True. <laughs> so Papagallo says that uh, the group is going to leave the compound tonight. And while they're all preparing to escape and get on their merry way, Papagallo has a bit of a confrontation with Max. This is, uh, I think, one of the best scenes of the movie. Because it kind of establishes like the two philosophies of life in this world. Papagallo and his compound group they subscribe to the idea that that you know we we're, we're still human beings even though civilization isn't what it used to be we're still human beings and we can rebuild society and make a life for ourselves and make the world a better place blah 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 and he offers to have Max join them and Max is like no I just want to take my car take my gas and get my fucking way in the world our Bye. contract is over yeah and Papagallo basically tells him, like, you're just like the marauders out there. You're feeding off the corpse of this world. He's, like, getting in Max's face, and he's like, why don't you want to join us, Max? What, what happened to you? What have you seen out there? Have you lost family? What is it? And when he says that, Max kind of has the reaction, and he keeps getting in his face, and it's like, dude, I, you know, I get it. You, you're all about we are the world we are the future i got it we are the children right like but like this isn't the way to motivate someone to join your fucking coalition here you know so max does what i think anyone in that situation would have done he hauls off and punches Papagallo right in the fucking face yeah
1: and he earned it he earned every bit of it and pop yeah that's when Papagallo goes
0: do you think you're the only one that suffered we've all been through it in here But we haven't given up. We're still human beings. Dignity. But you... You're out there with the garbage. You're nothing. So, Max ends up leaving with his car, his badass car, and his fuel. And as he's driving through the Marauders outside, they end up chasing him and running him off the road, and he flips over and completely wrecks his car and fucks his shit right up.
1: Yeah, so... The marauders are coming down because they've been ordered to get the gasoline from the wrecked car, get Max, and bring him to Red Hawk.
0: Yes, and in the midst of all this, one of the marauders, just very uh blase, la di da di da, not much pomp and circumstance is brought to this moment, but he just whips out a crossbow and proceeds to shoot the fucking dog. Uh-oh not true. That's impossible. You bastard. Oh my God, I wanted to die. I was so upset. <laughs> you hear a little whimper and it's like, no. <laughs> and Leia, thankfully, was sleeping while the, that moment happened, but I can only imagine what she would have said. Oh, thanks. Thanks, mom and dad. You finally watched a movie with a dog in it and it gets killed. I really appreciate that. Are you trying to send me a message?
1: Oh, God.
0: But, uh, yeah, I was really bummed when the dog died. Yeah. Because that was his only friend. That
1: was, and the dog was very cute.
0: Very so- loyal. We love a loyal pooch.
1: So as the gunman is now coming towards Max, the other marauder is trying to get the gas out of Max's car, and Max has set it so if you mess with his gas tank, the car will explode.
0: Yeah, he's a clever little Minx.
1: <laughs> and the car
0: explodes and
1: kills these two marauders.
0: We love another flaming car.
1: <laughs> ding ding ding.
0: You can't go wrong. And it's it's funny because like in lower budget movies, you always know that a car is going to get fucked up if it's like a junky car or like a, a very old car that looks like shit. And it's funny because pretty much all the cars in this movie look like shit. So you know, like, nothing is safe. (laughs) Nothing is sacred.
1: Everything can go.
0: So, yeah, after this explosion, Max is left for dead. But he is saved in the nick of time by none other than the captain on his fucking crazy, weird bike helicopter looking thing.
1: (laughs) And he flies Max back to the compound
0: he wakes up like all out of sorts the feral kid is right there waiting for him to see if he's okay and it's kind of it's kind of sweet this poor kid but max kind of hobbles out leaning on the little feral kid and goes up to papagallo who's talking to the group and finalizing their plan to get the fuck out and he's like i want to drive the truck with the oil in it and papagallo is very kind of reluctant But eventually he agrees. He's like, okay, listen, you're going to drive the truck. A bunch of us are going to be in other armored cars to kind of buffer around you and protect the oil. And hopefully that'll be enough to distract the marauders while the bulk of our people can get away scot-free in this big school bus that we have. And Max is like, okay, that's the plan. Sounds good. Let's go. And... They all get ready to go. Of course, the feral kid sneaks into Max's truck right before they get going. And the infamous highway battle in this movie begins.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of action that goes on here with Max knocking cars off the road. People getting lit on fire
0: yeah and they had a bunch of explosions they actually as they all leave the compound they blow it the fuck up yeah just you know for good measure this climactic highway battle scene is a whopping 13 minutes long which is crazy for a, a action movie because you know everything is so quick paced and fast usually you know but this scene is so fucking good there's so much going on so many moving parts, so many explosions and gunfire and arrows flying. Like there's just so much happening that you are completely transfixed for the entirety of the sequence.
1: Oh yeah, my only I, my only issue with this sequence in general is how unceremoniously Papagallo, Red Hawk, and Lord Humongous are all kind of taken out.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Several people are, are killed in this sequence. And yeah, most of the time, there's really not a lot of, uh, you know, build up to it. It's just one minute they're there and the next they're not. And I feel like, again, it's it's lending to the cutthroatness and the dryness and the cruelty of this world that we're in.
1: Yeah, it it I I like I understand the point of it, but you build up these characters, these these villains, and you want kind of like something big for their death, you know?
0: Right, no, I totally get that. I, I do. I feel like if you blink you you could miss some of these pretty major character deaths and it's like okay, <laughs> like just moving on.
1: <laughs> like Papagawa gets speared and then he's gone
0: yeah there's one point where there's a marauder like trying to get into the truck and the feral kid is jumping on top of this guy trying to get him off and papagallo rides up right beside the feral kid and is like jump jump on like i'll save you and they build it up like the kid's gonna jump or something but then immediately like mid-sentence they just take out papagallo and his car veers off the road and you're like oh fuck okay never mind <laughs> but i did want to mention one interesting little fun fact about this uh sequence obviously in a sequence like this there's going to be a lot of stunts in one particular stunt a motorcycle rider hits a car flies off his bike and smashes his legs against the car and he like kind of cartwheels through the air towards the camera oh yeah that looked awesome yeah um, he was supposed to just fly over the car without hitting it, but, um, he actually ended up breaking his leg and somehow survived that, just broke his leg, but the shot looked so fucking good that Miller was like, we're keeping it. <laughs> Despite the fact this guy had a traumatic experience and almost died, we're going to keep it in the movie. <laughs>
1: Sounds about right.
0: Are you sure it's a good idea? Sure! So throughout this sequence... Uh, there's lots of other crazy stunts there's one with a I don't know if the word is correct but it's I think it's called a bolo it's that string with two balls at the end of it and they swing it around and like chuck it
1: uh yeah it's a bolo yeah
0: okay so one of the marauders takes that and throws it at one of the cars dragging the driver out of the car and like flipping the car over a million times it's a pretty fucking crazy stunt and i'm like damn you use a little bolo and you just cause all this carnage it's crazy
1: yeah there's there's people being hit by Molotov cocktails there's one point there, cars are starting to hit the tanker and the door has been ripped off so he stands up still driving the, the fucking truck shotguns one guy in the face in his car and it causes the car to fear off taking out like four other cars. It's fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, and at one point we think the Red Hawk guy is gone. Yeah, because he's beating the top of the truck
1: with what looks like a flail, like a medieval flail. And he's hitting the top of the truck and Max just hits the brake and he goes flying off in front of the truck and you're like oh
0: oh oh great he's run over great bye (laughs) but uh spoiler alert (laughs) not so much now as more and more people are fucking getting killed here max and the feral kid are really like the last men standing as far as the compound people so as the marauders are closing in on him he tries to load up his shotgun he gets hit in the shoulder and he loses one of his uh last rounds and it's sitting ever so perfectly on the end of the truck just just waiting to be snatched up so he calls over to the feral kid because max is driving the truck obviously so he calls over the feral kid and he's like get the shell kid get the shell and the kid just climbs out of the broken front windshield of the of the truck and climbs out onto like the nose of the truck to grab this little shell and right as he's about to grab it Red Hawk jumps out, (laughs) like, rah, and grabs the kid.
1: So at this point, Max is kind of caught, like, turned around, and Lord Humongous is driving at Max. And Max is now, like, fuck it, grabs the feral kid, drags him back into... The truck. The truck. And points at Red Hawk, who then turns to see... Laura Humongous coming straight at him and Max takes them both out crashing through their car.
0: Yeah, head-on collision.
1: But this also causes Max and the tanker to roll over.
0: Right. And they have a huge wreck. Max somehow survives, as does the feral kid. He ends up pulling him out of the wrecked tanker as the rest of the surviving marauders just take off.
1: Well, yeah, you cut, you cut the head off the snake, so...
0: Right, so they all just run off. And as Max is pulling the feral kid out of the car, he notices that the truck isn't leaking oil. But no, it's leaking sand. Hmm. Why, why on earth would uh, an oil tanker be leaking sand? How peculiar.
1: It turns out it was a decoy.
0: Yes, right as the captain pulls up alongside Max, they give each other a little look and a little like knowing look like, ah, the truck was a decoy. I see. And uh, we are coming to the end of the movie now. We get our ending narration wrapping up this little tale. And our stoic old man narrator, he explains that the oil was hidden in the school bus that escaped with the bulk of the compound people and they're driving north to paradise to to start afresh and he reveals that the captain took over as leader of the compound people and after the captain the feral kid actually ended up taking over and it's revealed that the feral kid is our narrator for the for the story he explains that despite the road warrior helping save their little mini society. He was never seen again after that encounter with him. And he went off to parts unknown and he lives on in legend alone. And it's very epic. And that's how we end our movie.
1: Well, yeah, it's a good thing that Max kind of goes off alone and Max As a character, I think works better just kind of popping into other people's stories. That's why in Fury Road, it's great that he pops into Furiosa's story, but then he's on his way to do whatever the fuck else he needs to do. Uh, In this, he pops into the feral kid compound story.
0: Right, and he changes these people's lives, saves them, and then just moves on. I I do think that you're right. I think he is a great character to kind of mix and match and put into different situations and just see how he reacts. I, I like that they do kind of tease that maybe he's gonna bond with these people and, and you know, find a home p- potentially with these people. But no, ultimately, he has to be on his own. He, he just has to be that lone wolf, that lone wolf tropey character in movies like this. It's definitely a thing that's been done a million times. But in this, it works.
1: Yeah, it definitely does work. And uh, as much as Mel Gibson, again, is a terrible person, he does a good job here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he does a good job at portraying a lot without speaking a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. He portrays a lot non-verbally. And... He has a very distinct aura with Max. Because any dialogue he does have is very run in the action-y type dialogue. In a lot of movies that we cover, there are lines here and there that Scott or myself are like, oh my god, that was such a funny line. Oh, that was such a good line. That stuck with me. There's not really a lot of that in this movie. No. But what really sticks with you, I think, is just the overall... Aesthetic, the overall vibe, and mainly the character of Mad Max and the world that he's inhabiting.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can see why a lot of movies have aped this idea from Mad
0: Max. Definitely. But uh, yeah, that was Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. Yeah. And uh, I had a lot of fun with this. Some might say I feel like it's more style over substance and i can see that argument maybe because i i feel like the same argument can be made with fury road as well but i do think there is enough substance to get you through and keep you engaged
1: yeah i definitely wasn't bored at any point
0: no definitely not
1: it, it had a nice clip to it. it it kept me interested it had enough action where i was like yeah it's really good and for 1982 i think it did very well for itself
0: Definitely, I think so. I mean, you know, people still love this franchise. So, clearly, it did something right. Now, Scott, what did you rate The Road Warrior?
1: Well, uh, The Road Warrior got three and a half stars. Yes, I love the action. I love the location, the look of this. Max's broken character was very good. But no one else felt memorable
0: I can understand that I gave this a four out of five stars I very much enjoyed it usually with action movies for me it's kind of hit or miss there usually needs to be some kind of other element to it that keeps me engaged this is unique in the fact that there is a lot of just mindless kind of violence and explosions and just you know things go boom and that's fun but there is also something else to it in this stylized kind of world that we're in this post-apocalyptic wasteland and this Mad Max character that is traveling through it just trying to get by essentially that really kind of hooks you in. So yeah, I I agree that this is probably one of the more unique action movies I've ever seen. And I really had a lot of fun with it. So four out of five. Now, next week, we are going to finish up our sequel month with our final sequel introduced to me by good old Scotty here. And this is similarly to Whole Ten Yards like we did a couple weeks ago. Um, Frankie still hasn't recovered I really haven't fully um, But I'm just going to do my best to get through But like that That quote unquote film This next movie we're going to be reviewing Is a sequel to a film that we already Covered on our show Previously so I'm excited To talk about it And watch it
1: Yeah it's going to be interesting Because I have not watched
0: this one In a while So it should be quite interesting. But until then, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm
1: Scott Eisenberg.
0: Make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our... Looney Tunes Skiddly Doo Movie Adventure
1: Boom